What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbro, and welcome to The Funeral of Pod. Exploring albums released on Ferret Records that were distributed by Roadrunner Records. And today we have The Titular Funeral, 2004's album by the band Zayo, The Funeral of God. Like I said, the album came out in 2004, which is pretty incredible because I saw Zayo's farewell tour in 2002. So how did this album even happen? 2002, the farewell tour, I remember vividly because it was all unbands. It was under oath unearth and undermined under oath of course you know what happened to them unearth you probably have a good idea undermined were an interesting band because uh they were the rare mosh band whose vocalist also played guitar and also their vocalist got very angry when people wouldn't mosh i remember they played the warp tour 2004 that i was on and every day this guy was upset about people not moshing and their big myspace hit was uh called something about a body bag. He'd be like, who needs a body bag? And he was just really hoping that the audience was who needed one. So now I believe he plays guitar for Sleeping With Sirens, and I hope he's getting the mosh that he demands there. So between 2002 and 2004, there's a lot of different personnel changes in Zayo. Most notably, vocalist Dan leaves the band and is replaced by Josh Ashworth of Society's Finest Fame. And Jesse Smith also steps down from his drums, which is interesting because he later goes on to play drums for Society's Finest. Society's Finest also previously had Tim Lambesis in their ranks, who is pretty much only known for playing guitar in Society's Finest. But Zayo, at this point in 2004, I mean, they're already legends, okay? They put out Where Blood and Fire Bring Rest. The album that all your atheist friends were like, uh, you know, I don't really care for all the religious crap, but these riffs are sick. And they were sick. Or all your youth group friends were like, yeah, I'm allowed to listen to this because they sell it at the Christian bookstore. And they did sell it at the Christian bookstore. But like all good Christian bands, Zayo now, of course, denies Christ. So what happened in those years that this album even exists when the band almost didn't? Well, Paul Bearer and Riff King Scott Mellinger undertakes us into God's graveyard to explain the miracle of how this record even happened. I don't, it's weird because like we all got along, but there were 
differing wants to do the band, right? So like, and I do think a lot of you know, personality clashes, like it's really hard when you're a kid to like really understand that stuff and and to like navigate it so it, you don't end up getting upset or leaving a band or whatever because of those kind of things. So I think by the time Parade of Chaos came, we've always had a great time writing together and we always had really good time doing records. And then you get on tour and then personalities would come out and nobody's fault. Like as we've in the last whatever years, like everybody's on great terms now, like there's no weird issues, but when you're a kid, those things happen. Um, so pretty chaos comes out and, you know, Dan wasn't really able to do full-time touring and totally legitimate reasons why he couldn't do it. And I, everybody understood why he couldn't do it, but the band always just wanted to keep going. And like me and Jesse were really, really driven and we really wanted to do things with music. So the idea of having Josh come in and sing for us, which Josh Ashworth, where he likes, he kind of took over for Dan. And after that pretty chaos time, because we had a, a fill-in guy named Corey that was great. And he was, I mean, he's, I love the guy still. Like I, talk to him all the time but that he got to the point where he didn't want to really do a band full-time and he was trying to figure out his life and he was going to college he was going to be a teacher all this other kind of stuff so we decide that with dan not being able to do a full-time touring schedule should we attempt to actually get like a singer josh comes in we do a european tour with josh um things are okay um and actually russ did come back prior to Dan. So Russ was in the band with me when Jesse was still there and Rob was there and Josh was there. So we did a European tour with that lineup, the five of us. And me and Russ, I mean, me, Russ and Dan live in the same area. I like, those are the guys that I grew up with. So like me, Russ and Dan have always been really close. And so me and Russ were the closer of who I was with in, in the band at that time. We always felt that not that Josh wasn't a great performer in his own right. It just never felt right for what we were doing, especially lyrically. You know, Dan's lyrics are a lot of the reason why I think people follow the band in the first place. So when you eliminate that huge portion of what the band is, it just felt really not right. But we went along with it because we wanted this thing to work and we tried really hard to make it work. So we did that tour and the tour was okay. Like having Josh in the band was fine. There was no real problems other than when we got to like writing lyrically, he was on a different kind of plane than what we were used to. And it was a little shock to the system. And I remember me and Russ being a little concerned about what his lyrics where he was going with his lyrics. And, and the thing that I don't like about that is that as a musician and an artist myself, the last thing I want to do is put anybody in a box where they can't just be whoever they want to be. So like the fact that I don't like these and it's not really vibing with what we want the band to be in our eyes, uh, you know, I'm going to arbitrarily put a box on this guy. That's going to make things not comfortable at all for him, not comfortable for us. <laughs> so what, what's going to end up happening? Um, so that got kind of strange, but also at the same time, even though everybody worked really hard for the band to, to, to continue, Jesse got to the, I think he got to the point where it just was never, it was just not going to work for him. And I think that like, 
he was starting to recognize things about his own situation. You know, me and Russ, I totally take responsibility. I mean, you know, this whole time period, everybody's kind of an asshole to each other. So it's not like one guy was a piece of shit. And it was just like, you know, certain clashes would happen and it it was rough. It was really tough. But I think Jesse got to the point where he was kind of just like, it just, he was over it himself. But we did start writing at that time, like right around that time period for Funeral of God. So uh, the song that eventually would become Rising End was a song that eventually became Praise the War Machine with Jesse, with Josh, with everybody. Um, but as it went on and the harder it got and, and the, the lyrical problems that me and Russ were having with, with Josh, things just got, just got kind of out of control. I was starting to become closer to like uh, Ferret's owner's friend. Like I would be talking to Carl. Carl would talk to me about like what we were doing. Carl would ask me how things were going. Um, so my relationship started opening up in the business side of the band a little more. And I think because Jesse was just so up, fed up with so much of all of what was happening. So eventually what ended up happening is it just, it got to the point where it came to a head. Jesse left. When Jesse left, we decided that we want, if, if Dan would be willing to do it, we got to talk to him about this because there's no way that I think the band would, is going to work with how Josh was doing things. Like I said, even though he was great vocalist, sonically sounded awesome. His lyrics like are super personal, just on a different kind of wavelength. I think what it was is Dan's way of talking about personal things that happened to him are way more art uh, poetically like, done. Like abstract? Yeah, like very abstract. They're not really like right in your face, fuck you, right? Josh is really in your face, fuck you. And that's fine. And he's saying about extremely personal things too, like girlfriend issues or like, you know, stuff like that. Like Dan's lyrics, there's just something about the way he does it and what he talks about that are really baked into what the core of our band is. And that like originally when he, he joined, I mean, there were, even though he had a more Christian slant on his lyrics, they were kind of anti-religious lyrics. Uh, some of the songs on Blood and Fire, like Ravage Ritual was, a, you know, a, a condemnation of how the church was. Like, so... He has a really cool way and a very artistic way of getting his ideas out that that really work with us and really worked with like, even when it comes down to like how his phrasings are, like we're just, and it could be seriously that we are just so used to how his stuff worked that at the time, the whole Josh Ashworth way just felt weird to us. And it could just be that too. I mean, and I think too, like Josh, like handled himself a little differently. He was a really good looking dude. Like there was a lot of things about him that, like Zeo isn't that type of band. Like we didn't have like a, we, we were never known for like having that front guy that was like, you know, kind of charismatic in that way. Like Dan is more of a reserve, like, but when he's in his place, he's like in his place. Right. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely agree that Dan's vocals and lyrics are a huge part of Zayo's legacy and also appeal of the band in the first place. So I'm, I'm with you on that. And I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. I was just curious to see what the, uh, the conflict was there with Josh. But yeah, so when Jesse left, that was our kind of like, okay, well, if we want to do this this way, let's have Dan come back. Let's have Josh leave. Rob was given the opportunity. If he wanted to stay, he could. But him and Jesse are like the closest friends. I mean, those guys. So I don't fault Rob for wanting to leave with Jesse at all. Like I, I, I completely understand why Rob would want to leave when Jesse left. But when we got to that point in the band, Jesse leaves. Rob decided to to leave and then we had to go to josh and say that we were going to go in a different direction because we felt this way so it was literally like kind of scrounging to figure out how we we're going to do but we did have like i said you know we had two or three songs that were all basically done that jesse was a was a part of rob was a part of and josh had lyrics for and we ended up giving these to dan and Dan did what he did with them, which ends up how they are on the record. And we basically kind of build the band sort of back up because me and Russ were doing a side little like indie rock thing. And the drummer and bassist from that band, we had them just kind of come into the Zayo fold and see how that would work. And, and it worked great for what we were doing at that time. And, ended up doing the record with them and getting, you know, Dan back in all that stuff. So it it's weird to look back at it now. Cause it, it was really tumultuous then. Like it really felt holy shit, but it was pretty, it was sort of like an easy transition theoretically, I guess. I feel like at that time when Funeral of God came out, too, that a big story of it was not only that it was so good, but how surprising it was good. Because what Zay was known for at that time is that you guys are fighting all the time. You know, the past like Mm -hmm. two or three years, you've broken up multiple times. People are leaving and coming in. So when, oh, we're in the middle of all those news stories that you're seeing, we're also going to put out a new album. People are like, well, there's no way that's going to work because they Mm -hmm. don't like each other. So when it comes out and it's not only a good album, but one of the more celebrated Zayo albums up to that point. It's uh, I think that's a big part of this record is that it's like, wow, it through all of that, the end result was worth it. Yeah, I agree. I think that that record out of all the records that I've ever been a part of with the band, Funeral of God was one of the harder ones for us to do because well, I mean, you have a lot of people that depend on what you're going to do. And, you know, Carl was really interested, really excited about, doing Isaiah record spent a lot of money to do the record. Um, so you nervous about what, what it's going to end up being, you know, Jesse was such a huge part and still is a huge part of what our band is. And you lose that part of your thing, which a lot of people identify as one, one of the biggest parts of your band. I mean, you know, Jesse's like his drumming, his kind of his personality, his persona, you know, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that was that we would have to overcome to make sure that the record would be good. And, you know, we're writing this record, not really realizing, like just trying to get songs. Cause we, it was at a time where we were like struggling to kind of finish the record, like having as many songs as we could have for the record. 
Um, recording the record, you know, Carl wanted this to be a really, really well done, well sounding record. So, you know, a lot of the time when we would go and do records, it wasn't like, you know, I would do guitar takes, maybe three takes and we'd be okay. Like Funeral of God was one of those ones where like, man, you were doing like an hour long for one part if it wasn't perfect, you know, trying to make the record as solid as it could be almost to the point where it like loses some of its life, you know, like, cause we would do when we, and I mean, a lot of the drums, the drums were, this is when like replacing hits were a big thing and everybody was kind of moving into that direction. So like, you know, Steve kicks his ass trying to like get a song done, gets it done. And then like, I go in the one area and watch Eric, Rachel, which was our producer at the time and engineer, he's taking all the drums and fixing it and like placing it on the grid. And I'm like, it sounded fine, but it doesn't sound fine to these people, you know? So there was a lot of things about the record that like was really like draining and was a pain in the ass. And there was a lot of things about the record that was insane that I wouldn't have expected either. Cause for our band, the amount of sales that that record did for us was, I mean, I wouldn't have thought we've ever have a record that would sell that much or, or even be considered in one of those worlds where like we were able to play with, with some of the bands we were able to play with. And Well, that's a good point. So Eric Rachel produces the record, which that's the, at the time is like ferrets, like go-to producer. Yeah, he's, he did up, like every time I die before that. Yep. And before that, every Zayo record up until then is done with Barry Pointer, who's kind of yep. like... Uh, Actually, Barry and Jason Magnuson. Barry Pointer and Jason Magnuson were both the guys that... I mean, I did all the records up till Feeding the God with those guys. They were definitely hands-on. It was, But I think what it was, it wasn't... You know, we were doing it to dat tape. There wasn't Pro Tools. You couldn't do things to grid. Like half of like Liberate and, and self-titled, none of that stuff was recorded to a click. It's all just like us playing together. So it was done like live? Pretty much. I mean, like basically how it would how we would do records back then was like, you know, we would scratch guitar tracks. If they were good enough, we'd keep them. But you weren't worried so much about your performance because you were just working like trying to focus on the drummer making getting his performance. So like we're playing along with Jesse and we're really focusing on the drums. But if the guitars were okay and they came out okay we would keep them um so essentially like every record i did prior to that was more or less like a live record because you would just go in no click all the band is playing together and then you would go back and then i would do my guitar tracks if some of them were okay we would just keep them or i would redo whatever i had to redo um and with funeral of god everything was done to a click track we would play along with steve just for him to have us there but we knew we were going to be redoing everything. So it didn't matter even if we did do it. Okay. Or not. And so, yeah. So, and, and I think there was a lot of, um, and I, I kind of liked, and this is how we do our records now. Like, I mean, we do everything to a click, but we're not like, man, if I like move my hand on the fret and I scratch and the, it makes a scrapey noise, like I'm not going to redo guitar tracks because of scrapey noises. And we would do that with, you know, God, like he didn't want any of those noises. He didn't, I mean, it was like, you know, too kind of polished, not what we were used to, not even how I necessarily like records. We really did the Def Leppard treatment. You, you mean you cut your drummer's arm off? Well, you know, whatever it takes. 
So with Jesse leaving, I know you said you already had those couple of songs done, but does that leave you as like the sole songwriter? Are you collaborating with your Jade Meridian brethren now to make these songs? Well, I know, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure like Steve and Sean had some input. Um, a lot of it was me and Russ. The songs that Jesse was a part of, though, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of me, Russ, and Jesse. But a lot of our, I mean, those like Funeral of God was a really good team effort. Like I, I, I do think that me and Russ probably had more of a hand in how the songs ended up sounding and what they did and what the drums did. Because Russ is actually a drummer too, so that kind of helps. I would say that it was probably mostly me and Russ getting these songs done. And then we were never like, Oh, you have to play this bass part. You know, like Sean would be able to write his own bass lines and do whatever he wanted with that. Um, I know he probably had some riffs that we, that he came up with that we would incorporate. And Steve, a lot of the times, like we would let him kind of have a freedom for drums. And if there was anything that we did really like, we would maybe suggest, but, but it was, it was, a lot of everybody working together. We'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. And with the amount of melody and, and clean singing on this record, do you think that was a result of you guys collaborating in that other band before? I think so. Yeah, I think because the other band was essentially just all that. Like it was just melody and singing. And I by no means thought I was any good at it, but I was comfortable to try it. And we wanted to do something a little different. And to be fair, um, you know, a lot of the things that were doing well for bands was that like singy chorus screamy verse thing so that might be one of my my misgivings of the record because that's not really what i'm a big fan of to be honest but i feel like we did it okay i definitely did okay i could do a ton better <laughs> but we we tried it and it 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 seemed to work some of the songs came out really really cool I mean, one of the most important things I think about Funeral of God is the uh, presence of like choruses and things like mm -hmm. that. And I think yeah. that, you know, as much as metalcore for a big portion of its life was just like, let's see how many parts we can put together. Uh, mm -hmm. Having something to latch on to like Funeral of God songs have with those choruses, your singing is a big part of that, I think is a big part of what made this record so accessible to people. And like you said, be able mm -hmm. to move as many units and people get into it and celebrate it because you have that there. And I mean, at, at the worst case, even if you're saying it's maybe something you don't love about it, it's, it's not something that uh, you had before. So at least it's oh, something different yeah. that you've done, you yeah. know, it's, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you can build off of it, which you have done in the future. You know, you've incorporated maybe a chorus, but maybe it doesn't have as much singing or melody, but it still has that catchiness to it, which I think is important with, with songs. That's how people remember. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, 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 it's a weird kind of line you, you cross on it because I'm like, most of the things I listen to are verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. Like I love all kinds of different stuff. That's just like that. Um, and 
I like having re- like memorable parts in art and Zeo songs. Like I want things to repeat and I want there to be something people can grab. I think when what we did then, because we were new at it, that we do better now is I think back then we were slightly forcing some of that stuff to have to happen. And now what we do is the song presents itself in a way that you can feel these things should go the way they go. Like I think back then it would be more like, well, this has to happen. This chorus has to be here. Now we have to force this to happen. As you get better at it, you know, you start to realize that don't push it so hard. Just let it kind of come to you. Now, famously, Dan comes in after albums are written to apply his lyrics and vocals. And in this case, he's not even in the band for half the time that you guys are writing the album. So when does the funeral of God concept come into play? Definitely later. I know like after we got all the songs done. So what Dan likes to do is he'll listen to the songs and he'll get sort of like an overall like feel like what the like, you know, if a song's like angrier or if there's like a really sad part or any of that kind of stuff, that's like, he'll like key into like what the notes kind of feel to him. And that sometimes can give him a good idea of where he's going to, cause he's, I mean, he has books of lyrics. I mean, he's writing all the time. Like he never comes to a record like empty handed. He's never, he always has so much already that then he comes to the songs and kind of tries to like place where certain lyrics can go. Um, but he did have the, uh, the idea of like an overart, like the, the theme of, of what the record was and the story of the whole record and how he wanted it to work lyrically. And, you know, songs were placed the way, like almost like we looked at it like a movie. So he placed the songs in, in a order that would tell the story, lyrically tell a story. Cause like a lot of people think, for example, Liberate, a lot of people think that that record was like fully like a concept record. And we like, no, it wasn't at all, actually. Like the concept didn't come until they started working on the artwork. And the guy that did the artwork kind of like conceptually came up with that whole idea. None of us in the band even realized, like it was just a normal record with songs that were all separate. So Funeral of God is legitimately like every song is about that story. But yeah, so he comes in. And a lot of time with Dan too, like very rarely do we actually change song structure for anything he does. Uh, he's usually able to like get his lyrics in in a way that he doesn't usually have us change too much song wise. Like a lot of that stuff, like he was really, really kind of focused on how each song would go into each other and what that story would start with and how those songs would kind of meet. So that was more of what he he kind of played with. And yeah, it was totally after the fact that all the songs were done. Well, you mentioned uh, Liberate doesn't kind of uh, get the idea of being a concept record until the artwork is done. Can you tell me about the artwork for Funeral of God? It has this uh, kind of almost idolic statue yeah. of who I assume is God. Um, I get, yeah. So Dan worked with Portland from with it. He worked at Ferret at the time. Portland was one of the uh, main kind of art drivers for that whole record. And Dan had ideas of what he wanted the record to look like and and kind of some of the songs had like say like like a bridge lyric or something that they would kind of take to 
inform their picture decisions. So like, the, yeah, that front cover statue that's kind of breaking all apart or whatever. There was like in one of the songs, it talks about like a that kind of whole scenario. There was a couple other pictures that we actually didn't use. Um, there was like a picture of like just a normal grave site that just looked kind of like too on the nose and weird. Um, and then also what was a, sort of a bummer, and I'm glad we did it for the re-release of the vinyl, but the Japanese cover was like one of our favorite pictures that were on that. So like we would have liked to see that as the cover, but you know, Looking back now, I think the the cover that they did choose, and, and after it was all said and done, we decided to go with is the more like catching one, the eye catching one. But uh, but that Japanese cover, like the whole like end of the record, you know, I lay sleepless in my grave stuff, all that like kind of thing. That was a perfect representation of what Dan was talking about for that. So, um, but we didn't really have too much hand in in that, like Portland we gave him all these ideas and, and he was able to go through and get a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because it's what I've seen for years, but you know, of course that front cover statue is so like iconic, but yeah. the Japanese cover you're talking about, it's kind of like a statue of an angel in this like garden scene. And it's very beautiful. First of all, were you even aware that this album was released on Roadrunner in other countries? Absolutely. Actually, it was a, uh, one of those like career defining thing. Cause Roadrunner is a label that, all of us in the band have been a huge fan of. So when we found out that it was going to be in Europe and on Roadrunner, we were pretty blown away and we made sure that we all got copies of it. And I didn't even open mine. Mine's still sealed because it had like a little, um, there's like a Japanese release that has like a little side piece to it. And then um, the other ones like have the Roadrunner emblem on there. So we were pretty stoked about it. Yeah. You got to keep that OBI strip intact. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Are there albums on Roadrunner that were pivotal for you growing up or just that you were a big fan of? I would say the Sepultura records, for sure. The Suffocation stuff that they did. Life of Agony, River Runs Red, all the Machine Head stuff. Actually, I mean, half of what we still today kind of like try to get to like sonically. Well, Carcass Heartwork is like the one record we always try to, to hit sonically. And then the more things change machine head record i mean that record's just so huge and the guitar tones are so good so the single off the album is rising end which i think mm -hmm. you mentioned was one of the songs you had written with yeah. jesse right mm -hmm. and it kind of has that more um more cohesive and aggressive feel along with war machine that you mentioned too you know there's not a lot of the clean singing but my question to you is you're from pennsylvania yeah what is the yankee obsession with the redneck riff southern twang riff what is the thing you guys hate the confederacy but you want these riffs we do we we do hate them but <laughs> but i will tell you you know what it is there isn't a dude in a band that plays heavy music that didn't fall in love with pantera riffs that's it and even now like looking back like sure i all all that kind of whatever was always weird for us but like 
dude, those Pantera riffs, you can't deny those Pantera riffs. And everybody's still just trying to do the Pantera riffs. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I got lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit serious. You do a music video for this song. Yes. Was that the first music video Zayo had yes. made? That's the very first time we've ever actually, because I mean we've did like weird live shit, but that like we've never actually. Went to a like like a sound studio and like did it. So yeah, it was the first time. And what was the concept for this video? Did you guys come up with it or did they it get presented to you? Chris Sims did the video, and Chris had a concept that Dan kind of helped along with. But at, at like pretty much every band at that time was like, well, most of your video is going to just be you performing you're not going to really even know what the hell's going on you're not going to be anywhere near them actually filming the other parts of it you're just going to be in a warehouse for eight hours jumping around until they get what they want um so we really didn't have any knowledge outside of dan talking to them about what what he was trying to present in the song um and then all the other parts of that video were filmed well when we weren't anywhere near them but yeah it was it's weird because you don't realize it, but you have to like work 10 times harder for that than you ever do on like a live show. Like it was grueling because like the camera makes everything slow down and weird. So like if you're not like giving fucking 110%, like it's man, it was rough. Rising End does have one of my favorite lyrics though, which also sets the theme for the album with uh, bombs rain down like heaven's tears. The earth shall die and disappear. You know, we didn't even Ooh. talk about what the concept for funeral of God is. So God, he's fed up with the human race and he's decided to die. Basically what, yeah, it's essentially like, and I remember talking to Dan about it, like, because the whole idea was that let's say God does exist. We were like, so let's say he did actually exist. And what ends up happening is that, because of all the horrible shit that happens in the world, this entity that isn't really what people think it is, but finally does show that, hey, I was here this whole time and I'm done with you people. So it's almost like a deicide. It kills itself or whatever you would say that would be. And so God is like gone. And then what does that do? Like, how does the human race handle finding out one finding out that oh shit there was a deity and two it's turned its back on us and killed itself because of what we do and then part of that whole thing was like well how would news kind of like wouldn't would it be like a whole big news thing and like it would probably get all hokey and there'd be a some stupid name for the you know the fu- live from the funeral god which is what you know so like all these weird ideas that Dan came up with, they were cool. 
that's kind of, that's the story. Like essentially like you find out that there was this thing. Humanity has disgusted it to the point where it's done with humanity. And now you're trying to put the pieces together while realizing this thing existed, but there is nothing now. Like you can't do anything that would bring it back as it's gone. So this afterlife that everybody would want or whatever isn't going to be there. So, so that's like the end of the record. There's no afterlife now. Even now you know that there could have been one, but now there isn't one for everybody, which, you know, kind of sucks. But <laughs> like the people that actually believe it. Yeah. So it was just like the play on that, like a play on that whole idea. You know, when, when I, like I leave religion or I leave the faith, I've decided to kill God myself and I've left that faith and whatever. I mean, I didn't kill anything because it wasn't there, but you leave the faith. Right. And it's okay for me to leave it and be done with it. Well, what if that thing wants to leave you? What if that thing wants to leave us? No, that's profound. And I actually, I thought that the resolution was that earth is hell. That's kind of what I got out of the last couple of songs. It, I, I think what it is, and this is another thing that I always loved because all of us have talked about this kind of thing for so long, even now with us, most of us not having any belief in anything. Um, but the idea of hell always intrigues me and in what people think that is. And one of the things that I always thought was the most interesting in thinking what hell would be is just absence, which theoretically is what is going to be like, it's not hell because it's, there's no, there's no like, like pain or anything like that. But if you're a believer in something and then this thing is completely absent from you, like think about as a, as a child, right? If your parents would un, like, would disown you or like give you up, like the pain that that causes you. Like knowing that like you were given up or knowing that like somebody left you, that could be an internal hell. Like, cause I think a lot of you know, this whole like idea, which, you know, the idea that like you burn in hell for all eternity. And it's like, literally there's this like demon Satan thing. That's like, they're doing this to you all uh, for all eternity. Never, ever made sense to me, even when I did believe, but what would be really painful would be in like living in eternity with complete absence and existing with absence and not having anything. If, if that was, you know, what you believed in, there's so many things on in this life that like can be so amazing and miraculous in its own right. And it's really sad that there's so much just that happens that that negative, the, the, this horrible negative idea of how, we are on this planet now and how so many things seem to be going wrong at all. I mean, everything seems to be just crashing around us and it could be so perfect. Yeah. It's a bummer. It is a bummer. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring you down. So then it goes into just kind of to go over how the, the story of the album goes through. So rising end, you know, bombs are raining down like heaven's tears. Then you got last revelation where they're basically like, oh, he's going to die. Like, I, th- yeah. I feel like Rising End is like, hey, I'm here. Like you said, God's mm-hmm. like, yo, I'm, I was here, turns out. And then last revelation, he's like, well, I'm, go- I'm leaving. I, ca- yeah. I came, I got to go. It's gone. Then you have uh, the actual funeral of God. Which has the most sepultura riff in it during mm-hmm. that chorus mm-hmm. 
fully back 100 <laughs> yeah. percent it's sepultura <laughs> yeah so sick love that and uh and that one's like you know he's dead but the end of it is actually the end of it is I- i'm surprised that this song isn't something that's more prevalent in your uh set list to this day but the way funeral of god ends with uh you know it's a huge breakdown a really cool mm-hmm. like kind of uh, chant that almost seems like sarcastic you know it's like hey don't worry i know god's dead everything's fine mm-hmm. we'll miss him but we'll be all right uh, i think that that's a uh, super sick and just a, a really good way to that's a that's the most realistic thing on the whole thing that that's probably how the world would respond they're like hey he was a crisis actor don't worry about yeah. it yeah nobody <laughs> yep yep that's it you are right then we go on to lesser light where that this is where the earth starts realizing like oh actually we might be there might be a problem this is uh this is an issue has my favorite lyric on the whole record where he says bending towards your will cutting through the person who would rather die than kill which sounds like the innocent the person that probably was down the whole time was like well you're getting thrown in with the the rest of them because you're guilty by association what's really cool about that song too is one of dan's good friends gabe felice helped him write that was the only song i know of that like in those time periods where dan had any help lyrically him and gabe kind of like teamed up on that one because gabe has some pretty awesome like visual lyrics that he's written he's just a friend of ours um and so some of that like real visually weird stuff that you would think he helped out with so that was kind of neat but yeah i i'm with you on that even the parts that you sing like on the opening track um you know you have that really cool chorus dan is writing those lyrics for you and like hey it would be cool if you sang this part yeah usually what i'll do um is I will have, I'll come up with the melody line and I'll do like gibberish words or there'll be words, but it won't be anything that makes any sense. And then when Dan, I'll like hand them off to Dan, Dan will actually like turn them into a full fledged idea. Um, Every once in a while, I'll have something in there that actually fits what he's going to talk about. But most of the time I'm taking lyrics from Dan and I, I put a melody whatever words I'm going to use, then he'll give me words to actually redo the melody with. I mean, that must've given you some sort of confidence to do it though, that he's coming to you and saying, I think it would be cool if you sang this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and now, you know, with all these years under our belt doing this kind of thing, you know, I kind of, I understand Dan's move or whatever you would call that his, like how he writes his words. Um, and I'm just a huge fan of how he does it. So like, I've studied how Dan like writes and like his prose, that's what I, so like some of the, like the, the most recent material I've been able to kind of get into the headspace that Dan's at. So like every once in a while, I'll come up with lines on my own that really work, but, but yeah, like having Dan be there and kind of push for certain things and help me get ideas and melodies with all that stuff. Like it's definitely a confidence builder. In times gone past this, uh, this one actually feels like day-to-day life where we're cursed Mm -hmm. to work and die. That's a kind of Dan likes to play with that idea a lot. Like there's a lot of songs where like, it's just 
the mundane, like what life is for people, like what, and it, you know, if you don't break out of that thing or you don't have this special thing you can do, like, even though, you know, with that song, it's obviously like paired in with a story, but it's that idea of like a lot of people's lives are just, you know, I have to do this. So I do this. And I'm, there's no like real, like life. But then of course there's the centerpiece of the album. Let's not joke around. We got war machine. All right. Yeah. And what's the coolest part about that? You know what it is when he says six, six, six. Well, what I like about it is that he says six, six, and then he pauses like he's not sure if he's going to complete this <laughs> this curse on mankind. It's almost like like he's got his finger on the button. He's like, ah. And then he says the third six, and then it goes crazy. My favorite thing about that song. So the way we built that whole end, every stop, every like pick, like the squeal, the pinch, the harmonic squeal, every one of those is a different style of our favorite thing. It starts out, I think it starts out with a Metallica style, and then it moves to the Anthrax style. And then it moves to Slayer style. And then it ends with Pantera style. You almost did the big four, though. You just replaced. That's what we did. <laughs> that, yeah, we we try to do the. That, that's what our whole thing was, and yeah, we didn't. We we for some reason missed Megadeth, and I don't know why. Uh, and then truly, truly, this is the end. I mean, it seems like the title says it all. They're like, okay, that this is. is this is it. Yeah. Also an incredible song. I mean, that whole uh, section of the the record, just lesser light into In Times Gone Past, War Machine, Truly, Truly. I mean, that is just a nonstop barrage. And I say nonstop, but it's actually, you know, completely different moods throughout those four songs. But I just think that that section of songs is... Then it ends with this epic instrumental into the eight-minute closer where you got mm -hmm. you singing and then also there's a, a female vocal. Almost got a little, like, Cradle of Filth symphony going on there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, that's... Man, it's so cool because I haven't thought about this stuff for so long. So, yeah, the, the female voice there is Steve... Or Stephen Peck, our drummer at the time, his wife, Sarah. And then all of that orchestration, all of that was... Sean and he we had uh, our our bassist that plays now his nephew did all the like piano parts and then Sean kind of like put it all together and turned that whole thing into like what it became
Now, on the Roadrunner version released in Japan with that alternate cover we were talking about, there is a bonus track that is not on the standard issue. Romance of the Southern Spirit, which, a couple of things about that. Number one, it opens with a quote from <laughs> Adaptation starring Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is an incredible movie. Um, no matter if you like it or not, it's incredible. You are what you love, not what loves you. That's what I decided a long time ago. That, like, to me, could have been, like, the big hit. Like, it's such a, a catchy song. It's very, uh, and maybe that's why it didn't make the album. And you'll tell me in a second. But that song is very uh, unique to the rest of the record. And, you know, I'm curious as to why it didn't make it. Because it does end up on Awake. So you mm-hmm. didn't get rid of it entirely. This was actually a Roadrunner request because they wanted to do a special, like, limited edition version of the record. And in order for them to do that, they were hoping to have like a B-side or whatever. And that song was one that was written well after we did the rest of the record. Um, but it was something that Russ actually was working on. We were, he was trying to get it done, but we just couldn't finish it. But basically that song, you can tell by the how the audio sounds, like we ended up recording that ourselves. Um, and it was a really cool, song that Russ came up with that he actually did most of all of his own. All I did with that song at all was just come up with a little vocal part. But Russ wrote that whole song and this was like one of the only like side songs that we didn't use because it wasn't really fleshed out until later. But we had the opportunity to throw it on there. And we also felt that, like you said, I like that song a ton. And I wanted to give it like a proper recording and a proper record release. That's why I put it on. Well, what is something that you would do differently with Funeral of God looking back on it now? I know there's some things about it that in general you uh, are kind of iffy on, but you know, knowing what you know now, is there something that you think you could have done with that same body of work that uh, would have been an improvement? I think that if we would have maybe allowed the recording to be a little more raw, I think that we probably could have had some of the songs might have been a little more impactful. I think like like a band like a song like Praise the War Machine, if it was a little uglier and a little more like messy and mushy, I think it would have really been you know, because like the the way it sounds live, that and rising it, like those songs just hit unbelievably hard and i feel like the guitars aren't real strong presence on there the bass is a little too loud the drums are a little too placed i think if that had more of like a naturally like open feel and a little more you know heavy production i think it could have really nailed those songs better but i do think that that production works on some of the more like chorusy verse chorusy songs like like live from the funeral of god but at the same time, that end of that song like that you were talking about, I think that misses a lot. Like, it's too clean. That's too heavy. That needs to be, like, really thick and gross sounding. I will say that I definitely never thought that the bass was too loud. If anything, I thought that it's barely there because the guitars are so, like, trebly. Almost like, um, kind of reminds me of, like, On Broken Wings at the time, the way they had their mm. production. I don't know yeah, how like, familiar you are with their I know what you mean. Yep, yep. weird guitar stuff, but... uh I 
definitely agree that I think if it had sounded like a little meatier on those guitars. Well, I think what maybe with what bothers me so much with the bass tone is the bass tone is so mid range heavy. So it's like, there's not a lot of real low in that stuff because the guitars are really mid rangey and the bass guitar itself is really mid rangey and the drums are real slappy and like, so there's a, there's not as much low end that I normally like in our records. I will say the bass does get a chance to shine on Truly Truly This Is The End with that really mm-hmm. cool like hi-hat fill that is in the like I yeah. guess, end of each uh, verse line, which is so sick. Yeah, I like that too. I like. I, I felt like Sean did an unbelievable job at, at playing it. Like that record was, and I mean, it, it, the bass guitar on that record was, was really like important and it really helped a lot of the songs to do what they did so it was and i feel like a lot of the other zeo song records maybe didn't let bass shine so much and this one we really we tried to like have incorporate parts that were really bass driven what is your favorite part about the funeral of god what are you most proud of when you listen back or think back on that record i feel like what i'm most proud of is it just the fact that we were able to do it, um, you know, with all the things that were going on with the band at that time and like all the pressure that we put on ourselves, losing key members of the band, you know, having Jesse leave is such a huge, I mean, most bands just, that would, that would have just killed them. I mean, we, we had times in the past when Dan left, then I don't know how we survived that stuff. So yeah, having Jesse leave the band and it, and us be able to like still kind of forge ahead and maybe it's just because we're jerks and we don't want to stop and we just keep putting our head down. Cause like a lot of bands, like even with like how we're doing things now, you know, like, you know, success to certain people is one thing and for us. The success of doing Zayo now is just that we get to do it, you know, but when we were doing funeral God, like there was a definite like pressure to like, Hey, you guys have been around for so long. Like, let's see if you guys can, mold yourself and turn yourself into one of those bands that actually gets to play in front of like a thousand people a night. So I feel like we, I'm really proud that we got through that whole time period and that I'm proud that that is looked at now as like the second era of our band that like it kind of started. It was the beginning of us still being able to play and, and really pushing ourselves to a different kind of extreme. Well, thanks so much to Scott for taking us through God's graveyard and giving us the ins and outs and ups and downs of the funeral of God. Zayo, still cranking out the hits. The Crimson Corridor album came out last year, 2021, and they're touring in 2022 with Darkest Hour. And our friends over at Holy Mountain Printing have lots of cool merchandise items for them. And Zayo's a pretty independent band, so you know if you're buying things from them, it, they're the ones that's benefiting that's good to know good to do and here's a good thing to hear and that is that i thank you oh isn't that nice of me i thank you for hanging out you can follow zao on instagram at zao band and you can follow me at meet me pod and tell me what the next ferret records album is you want me to cover like it matters what you say but in the meantime and in between time my name is ryan rainbow this is meet meep and yes 
that's the best that I could come up with. Bye! <laughs>